Welcome to A Word Fitly Spoken, a podcast about Jesus, His Word, and our joy in following Him. I'm Amy Spreeman. And I'm Michelle Leslie, and we've got a treat for you today, listeners, a special guest we wanted to chat with, Justin Peters. Hi, Justin. How are you doing today? Hey, Michelle and Amy. I am doing well, doing well. Thank you so much for the invitation to come on your program. It's good to be Uh, here. It's absolutely our pleasure, Justin. Great to connect with you again. Uh, Justin and I met uh, at the Answers in Genesis Conference for Women this year, earlier back in uh, uh, March, and so excited to meet you then. And um, I, I think our listeners really are in for a treat today. Yeah, I think so too. And and uh, Justin and I had the opportunity to meet. I think the first time we met was at Cruciform a few years ago. Is that right? I think that was the first time we met in person. And uh, and so we've we've been able to connect several times since then. And we have the pleasure of having Justin come to our church last year to um, to talk about some discernment things. And that was really a blessing too. So. He's a good friend and we love him and we wanted to, to share him with our, our listeners who love him too. And also the ones who don't know him yet, you will love him once you get to know him. Yeah. And speaking of that, Justin, we, you know, we've known you for a while and uh, we have to keep in mind that not everybody is as familiar with you as Michelle and I are. So uh, for our listeners who are meeting you for the very first time, uh, can you give us a, just a brief rundown on your life and your ministry and what you're up to these days? Sure, absolutely. Uh, I'm originally from Mississippi, so if you hear a southern accent, that's where that's from, but um, my wife Kathy and I now live in Bozeman, Montana, and um, uh, I am in full-time evangelism. I sometimes don't know what to call myself, I I guess an evangelist, but I hesitate to use that term because a lot of people automatically think of a televangelist, which is actually kind of what I'm most known for in critiquing, but um, Uh, I have a seminar entitled Clouds Without Water, which is a biblical critique of the Word of Faith movement, New Apostolic Reformation, more commonly known as the Health and Wealth Gospel, the Prosperity Gospel, Benny Hinn, Kenneth Copeland, Joyce Meyer, Joel Osteen, Joseph Prince, all that crew. Um, And a lot of people think that's all I do. It's it's not. I have my, my first commitment is to just teaching the Bible, expository preaching. That's uh, that's my first commitment. And um, so I do other things, but I kind of, in a sense, have become, I suppose, theologically typecast in a way. <laughs> but uh, I, I travel and preach and teach uh, domestically, internationally. I haven't done any international stuff since COVID uh, set in. It's kind of messed all that up, but Lord willing, that will return at some point. Um, have a YouTube channel and do some writing. And so little this, little that. That's great. Yeah, I know what you mean about getting theologically typecast. For a little while there, I w- the only thing I was ever asked to talk about was Beth Moore. <laughs> so <laughs> I was like, can I talk about something else, please, for a change? So, yeah. but I uh, love, you know, love talking about whatever people want me to talk about and, and uh, discussing those things. And, uh, and you mentioned your, um, your discernment work and you mentioned clouds without water and everything. And like you said, that's what you're best known for. And that's really helped so many people. I know that when you came in did that at our church. It was really helpful to the people at our church. And um, But you've done a lot of great work, like you said, 
on other subjects as well. And just a few of the things that I'm familiar with, um, you wrote a wonderful book called Do Not Hinder Them that addresses the questions that Christian parents have about their young children getting saved and baptized. And I highly recommend it. Uh, and I wrote a review of it and we'll put the link for that in the show notes. Um, also, a couple of years ago, we mentioned uh, the Cruciform Conference that we've managed to connect at a few times. You preached a sermon on being a godly husband, and you wouldn't think that would stick in my mind. It might have stuck in the men's minds, but it really stuck in my mind, too, because it was so good. And uh, if I can locate a link to that, we'll put that in the show notes, too. And the reason we've, we've got you here today, you've also developed a super biblical teaching about Santa Claus that you've entitled Santa Paws. And, uh, you know, I remember you sent me a PDF of it a couple of years ago, and it was just great. And last year, you put out an awesome YouTube video on it. And this year, you've got it out in booklet form. So since it's Christmas time, we wanted to have you on the show to talk about it. So tell us, how did Santa Paws come about? Where did you originally get the idea for it? Yeah, Michelle, well, I guess it started about uh, 10 or 11, maybe 11 years ago now. I was asked by a little girl who was uh, about 10 years of age at the time. Uh, she said, uh, she asked me if Santa was a Christian. And I was kind of caught flat-footed, um, uh, and I, I just said, "Well, uh, I've never met Santa." It was a it was a cop out answer, and I was trying to take the easy way out. But it was really the first time that I ever uh, was was required or kind of brought to the forefront of my thinking: um, Who is Santa? What what are the biblical implications of him? And that kind of set a that uh, little girl's question was the first thing that kind of set in a, in motion, a series of events in my life that, that kind of forced me to begin to think about Santa from a biblical perspective. And so I, I did, and I, I went to the theology, I went to the history and all that. And I, and I'm, as Paul tells us to do in second uh, Thessalonians five twenty one, test all things. And so I, I tested Santa through the lens of scripture. Um, I've never been a big fan of Santa, uh, I, I always had it in my mind, you know, I knew that it was lying to kids. Um, but, but I never got, I never did a deep dive into the theology of Santa and who he is, who he represents. And, uh, but once I began to do that, then that turned that into, uh, an article, which is now this little booklet that I've got. So, um, yeah. And, and, and then as I, as I did that and I studied it, then I came away with the inescapable conclusion that Santa is bad, uh, that Santa should not be a part of uh, the Christian's tradition. So that was the genesis of it. That is uh, so interesting. And one of the things that um, you talk about in the Santa Paws video is the history of Santa Claus. Uh, why don't you give our listeners just a little bit about the origins of the Santa Claus and uh, how he has changed down through the centuries? For instance, is Santa Claus of you know the history the same Santa Claus that we know today in the 21st century? Yeah, Amy, that's a great question. And uh, I don't want to kind of get people lost in the details here, but the origins of Santa is, is not as um, well-defined and clear as what a lot of people assume. Now, go back to a man named St. Nicholas, and most believers, at least in our circles, have heard of kind of the 
the dispute that uh, Nicholas had with Arius and all of that. And, and there is some truth to that. But uh, St. Nicholas was a fourth century bishop uh, from Myra. That's what is now southern Turkey. And uh, there was a legend that grew up around St. Nicholas, and he was said to give gifts to the poor. It was said that he saved a city from famine. Even uh, there's a legend that he raised three boys back from the dead, uh, three boys that had been murdered. And the legend was that he raised them from the dead. So there was quite this um, ornate involved legend that grew up around St. Nicholas. And up through the Middle Ages, he actually, he, he was a saint, an official saint. And so Catholics would pray to him, and uh, his name was invoked in prayer more than any other name other than Mary and Jesus himself. And uh, so as his legend grew, it kind of jumped the, jumped the creek, so to speak, from the Catholic Church and went into other regions. Uh, the Dutch had a version of St. Nicholas that they called Sinterklaas, K-L-A-A-S, Sinterklaas, and in the late 1700s, it filtered its way into America, and Center Claus, the English equivalent, became Santa Claus. And uh, Washington Irving, who is the author of Rip Van Winkle and The Legend of Sleepy Hollow, uh, he took this Santa Claus and he developed it a bit further, and he created an old man who was in dark robes, not the red robe, but a dark robe. And he traveled on a flying horse. And as he did this, he would bring gifts to children. So that was kind of the first initial um, origin of the American version of Santa Claus. Then in 1821, there was a, he wrote a poem entitled The Children's Friend. And in this poem, the, the horse was changed into reindeer. And then just one year later, Clement Moore, who's a theology professor at Union Seminary, uh, he wrote a poem entitled A Visit from St. Nicholas that begins with the all familiar words, "'Twas the night before Christmas and all through the house. And so that was the real beginning of the American version of Santa Claus. Now, not everyone agrees with this history, though. As I said, it's somewhat disputed. Others trace Santa Claus to the Norse god of Odin, and Odin rode around through the sky on a on an eight-legged horse instead of eight reindeer. He had this horse had eight legs. Uh, Odin's home was in Valhalla. He had a long white beard, and he flew around between December twenty-first and twenty-fifth. And he would do so to reward good children with presents, and he would punish the naughty. Others trace it to Thor, not the Avengers Thor, but nonetheless, kind of the you know uh, the. The, the pagan god Thor, and this version of Thor was an older man with a long white beard. He, he wore red, so now we're seeing something that looks more akin to what how we think of Santa. He traveled around in a chariot that was drawn by two goats instead of reindeer, goats. He had Cracker and Nasher were the name of his two goats, and uh, he was said to go up and down chimneys, and he even had elves to assist him. So uh, others trace it to that. Now, the most ominous version is goes back to Scandinavian mythology. Now, this is dark, but according to Scandinavian mythology, they took the center clause, K-L-A-A-S, as the chief antagonist to Christ. He was like the their version of the Antichrist. 
this center clause, their version, uh, he, he was the antagonist to Christ. He traveled around with a demonic being known as the Dark Helper or Black Pete or Krampus. Okay, so his, his helper had these three different names. And um, Black Pete was called Black Pete, not just because he was, this was a, these were dark beings. Um, his, his assistant was a dark being. And he was dark, not just by his nature, but also because he traveled up and down through chimneys and he would get soot on him. So, uh, and he would have ashes on his face. Uh, so Black Pete, in fact, you can go to Scandinavian countries today even, and they have in some of their parades and their festivities around this time of the year, you'll see some people dressed in this very politically incorrect nowadays, but dressed in blackface and they're not making fun of black people. It's, it's the dark helper or black Pete. And they, that's still kind of one of their traditions. Uh, Krampus is another one of his names and Krampus was known for punishing children. And he would even drag children into hell. Uh, in fact, it, it, just the last week or so, I was doing a little research on Krampus, and turns out there's a movie entitled Krampus, I think came out just a few years ago, and I watched the trailer of it just out of sheer morbid curiosity. You can go to YouTube and find it, and it's really creepy, really, really dark, but Krampus was a real thing, and so a lot of people actually trace the origins of Santa back to Krampus, also the, the dark helper, and so the Pennsylvania Dutch had their version of Krampus, their version of the dark helper, and they called him furry Nicholas. Okay. So Nicholas, St. Nicholas, furry is furry because he wore a furry coat and the drawings of furry Nicholas depict him as an older man in this fur coat, carrying a bag on his back very much looks like our modern version of Santa Claus. And so a lot of people trace the origin, the real origins of Santa back to furry Nicholas Krampus, which is a very, very dark, sinister, demonic being. In fact, uh, I'll close this part of the discussion with this. There's a researcher named Phyllis Seifker or Seifker, S-I-E-F-K-E-R. And she says this, quote, it seems obvious, therefore, that Santa Claus can be neither the alter ego of St. Nicholas nor the brainchild of Washington Irving. If we peek behind the imposing St. Nicholas, we see, glowering in the shadows, the saint's reprobate companion, Black Pete. He, like Santa, has a coat of hair, a disheveled beard, a bag, and ashes on his face. In fact, it is this creature, rather than Irving's creation or an Asian saint, who fathered Santa Claus. So, wow. um, yeah, the origins of Santa are not nearly so genteel as many people imagine. Yeah. I mean, gosh, some of those, even the more tame historical Santas sound kind of dark and evil, some of them. Uh, and, you know, obviously no. there's, there's some talk of the demonic in there and everything. And, um, but they, you know, like you said, they don't sound a whole lot like the American Santa Claus of today. So, you know, here's a question that I get from a reader to every Christmas time. 
if some of these historical Santas are evil, does that mean that Christians who have a, obviously not like the, a picture of Krampus or something like that, but if <laughs> right. they have that, um, you know, like that Coca-Cola Santa Claus, uh, an ornament, or they hang stockings on their fireplace, or if they read their kids a story about Santa Claus, like the night before Christmas, or like, I know I have some cute little Christmas dishes that have a picture of Santa Claus on them. Are those Christians participating in evil or inviting the demonic into their homes strictly because of those evil Santas from past centuries? I mean, I know there's some other unbiblical aspects of even the contemporary Santa Claus, and we'll get to those shortly, but based solely on those evil historical Santa Clauses. Solely on those, I, I would say no. I, I'm not one, and if I understand the question correctly, I'm not one who believes that if you have um, you know, you pick up some trinket in a market from South Africa that was made by a witch doctor that, and you bring that home, then, uh, there's going to be a demon that's going to hitch a ride onto that inanimate object. And you put it in yourself, put it up on your counter or whatever. And then at night when you're sleeping, that demon's going to dislodge itself from this inanimate object and start flying around your house and crawl into your ear canal and get into your brain or something. No, <laughs> uh, no I, I don't believe that. Um, I've had a few people uh, accuse me of making demonic signs with my hands and things like that when it's really just my cerebral palsy, but they think I'm, I've got demons in me because of that. Or, or if you have an owl, I've heard that too. If you have an owl on your shelf, uh, owls are demonic apparently. And so if you have a, like a statue of an owl or something, then, then there's surely demons in that thing. So, um, no, I think that's, that's a little dumb. That's, that's garbage. So I wouldn't worry about inanimate objects. Demons are real. Yes. <laughs> yeah, I don't want to, demons are real. Um, so it's not, it's not the objects in and of themselves that will, that are the problem. It's, it's how we view them, uh, and, and what they represent and what they represent. Demons are real, but, uh, inanimate objects you don't have to be afraid of. Yeah. And we don't want to get involved with anything demonic for sure. But what about the Christians who say kind of in a, a similar line, you know, Justin, I, I get that maybe there's some aspects of Santa's history that are bad, but you know, today Santa's just a kindly grandpa sort of guy who loves children. Is it okay for Christians to incorporate that Santa into our family, you know, traditions at Christmas time? Uh, no, <laughs> it's not. I, I take a, I'm a, a teetotaler when it comes to Santa. Yeah. Uh, even if you don't understand the origins and the Krampus and Black Pete and all that kind of stuff, uh, Santa is not just a kindly, roly-poly, grandfatherly kind of figure. Uh, because, and I, I guess this is where we kind of move into the real issues at hand with Santa um, is who he is and, and who he represents. And this is the meat of the matter. This is what I go through in my, in my book, Santa Paul's, uh, there's a lot of problems, theological problems with Santa and doing Santa as, as part of a Christian, uh, observance of Christmas. And let me say too, I understand that there are some believers who don't even want to do Christmas at all. Yeah. Um, and, and I respect that, you know, I, I do Romans 14, five, uh, one man regards one day above another, another man regards every day, the same, let each one be convinced in his own mind. 
uh, I respect those believers who don't want to have anything to do at all with Christmas, just another day. That's perfectly fine. But, but uh, if you do observe Christmas, which is also fine, um, don't make Santa a part of it because run down a few of these things. Number one, you are lying to your kids. I mean, you can, you can sugarcoat it all you want, but if you tell your kids that Santa is real and, and um, when I was a kid, you know, three, four, five, six, seven years old, uh, I thought he was real. I, th I thought this was a real person that showed up at our house every, every Christmas. And so when you tell your kids that Santa is real and he comes and visits you, slides down your chimney, leave out milk and cookies for him, you're lying to your kids. And it, how ironic is it that on the very day we celebrate the incarnation of God, the second person of the Godhead who came to die on the cross and save us from sin, that on that very day, we deliberately and intentionally engage in one of those sins for which Jesus died to save us, lying, lying. And you are lying to your kids if you tell your kids that Santa is real. Um, also, Santa has a works righteousness. There's a system of works righteousness with Santa. Around Christmas time, kids are on their best behavior, right? Why? Why are they on their best behavior? Because they understand that that is the only command that God gives them in scripture to children is actually children obey your parents. That's the only thing that the Bible specifically directs at children to do, obey your parents. No, they're not on their best behavior because they understand that. They're on their best behavior because they believe that Santa is watching. And if they're not good, then um, they're not going to get presents from Santa. They're going to get switches and ashes or whatever, they're, or coal. Uh, they're not going to get their toys that they want. So it's a, it's a works righteousness. It's a false motivation for obeying your parents. The motivation for children to obey their parents should come from, at least they need to be taught that uh, that is a command from God. You obey your parents, you know, Billy, little Billy, little Sally, you obey mommy and daddy because God tells you to, not because Santa is watching. So it's a works righteousness, um, false motivation for obeying. We're to obey because God tells us to, not because of what we hope to get in stuff. And this is where I do a, a deeper dive, is that this is something that I don't think many people have really connected the dots on. Have you ever noticed how much like God Santa Claus looks? Santa looks a lot like God because he has many of God's incommunicable attributes. Communicable as well, but when I say incommunicable, what I mean are the attributes or the perfections of God that only God possesses. Uh, communicable attributes are those attributes that we as Christians, we kind of dip our toes in the water a little bit. God has them in perfection. We just dip our toes in the water a little bit. So an incommunicable attribute would be that God is eternal. Okay. Santa is eternal. Santa really has no beginning and he has no end. He's just there all the time. He's eternal. Uh, Santa is immutable. He doesn't change. He seems impervious to the passage of time. He doesn't get old. You know, he just keeps doing his thing year after year after year. So he is, is immutable. He does not change, but yet only God is immutable. We as, we as believers or unbelievers or whatever, as, as finite beings, we change all the time, all the time. 
only God does not change, but Santa appears not to change. Uh, Santa is, for all intents and purposes, he's omnipresent. He goes around the world and visits every home on the planet in one night. And I've got kind of a funny illustration in that in my booklet. Some mathematician actually kind of ran the numbers on what would be required to do that. And, uh, but Santa is omnipresent and he's omniscient. Santa is omniscient. He knows if you've been sleeping. He knows if you're awake. He knows everything. He just has this godlike ability to see everyone at all times. And he knows exactly what you're doing. That is an attribute. That is a perfection that only God has. And so he has many of God's attributes. And then some of the communicable attributes, Santa is good. He's good by his character and his nature. Uh, and yet we know from scripture, Mark chapter 10, Jesus said to the rich young ruler, why do you call me good? No one is good, but God. And of course, Jesus was not correcting him. He was leading him. He was saying, you call me good, but do you understand why? Why do you call me good? Do you call me good because you think I'm a good teacher and I do some nice things for people? Or do you call me good because you understand that I am good because I am God? He was leading him. He was affirming his own deity. And yet Santa is good by his character and his nature, but yet only God is. And Santa is a gift giver. He gives gifts expecting nothing in return. And yet we know that every good and perfect gift comes down from the father of lights. So Santa is a God imposter. He looks like God. He looks like Christ. In fact, some of the artistic renderings of Christ, you might notice that in some of them, he has a, a green um, wreath around his head with the little red berries on it. Yes. And with the pointed leaves, you know, the point, little pokey pointed green leaves and little red berries. Well, that's an allusion to the crown of thorns, the thorns and the, and the red berries represent the blood. So, I mean, just every way you look at it, Santa looks like Christ. In fact, as we talked about in, in the origins of Santa, he was the chief antagonist to Christ. So Chana, Santa is a, is a, is, is a false Jesus. And so for all of the, and we know that God is jealous, right? I, the Lord, your God am a jealous God of what is God jealous. God is jealous for himself. He is jealous of his own glory. I will not share my glory with another. And yet Santa shares many of the attributes that God and God alone possesses. And God is jealous. He will not share it with another. He will not share it with Santa Claus. And yet, tragically, so many um, believing and at least professing believing uh, parents teach their kids every year that Santa is real. He's a glory stealer. He's an imposter. And God has no patience for that. No, he does not. And you make uh, such a good, compelling case for this, Justin, that I hope that uh, many parents can hear these words. Um, and I know when I was a kid, I believed it too. My parents very well-meaning, you know, they gave sure. me the whole shtick about Santa. Yep. And I remember very clearly how devastated I was when I realized that Santa wasn't real. And that led me to question it. Well, is what, what else have you told me, you know, that isn't real? Right. And, and so, you know, I, I'm wondering what, 
we could tell parents to share with their children if they've made that same well-intentioned uh, mistake of you know kind of building up the excitement of the holiday with this this fairy tale this imposter you know what do we then go back and tell our kids that we've already lied to that's a great question amy i'm so glad you asked it I, and i've received many emails from people who have read either watched the video that i did a year or so ago on santa or, or read my article, read my book, and um, and they were convicted. They were convicted about it. They saw the truth from scripture, and uh, and they emailed me and they told me, Justin, I've even a couple of pastors have emailed me and told me this. We've, my wife and I have done Santa with our kids, but after reading your article or, or watching your video, uh, we realized that it's wrong, and so we went to our kids and we told them, kids, Santa's not real. Santa's not real. We should never have taught you that he was. And uh, that has been a tremendous encouragement to me. And so if if you're listening to this and, and maybe you're being convicted and maybe you're midstream on Santa, you know, you've got young kids and you've been doing it thus far. What do you do now? Tell them the truth. Tell your kids the truth. Go to your kids and say, you know, kids, um, we've been doing this thing called Santa but mommy and daddy now realize that, that we shouldn't be doing this. And here's why. And uh, we need to let you know that Santa's not real. And you know what? Your kids will get over it. I mean, they're, they're, <laughs> it's, it's telling your children the truth. I mean, telling the truth is always the right thing to do, right? And so you, you tell them the truth. And that is not in any way for the Christian. That is not in any way going to take anything from Christmas. It's not going to make Christmas less meaningful. It will enrich Christmas for you because you're going to do away with something that God is not pleased with. And that will only enhance Christmas, enrich it, make it more meaningful. And you know what? Here's the thing. If you do this too, if you go to your kids, even if it's midstream, um, one of these days, if you tell them the truth years from now, they're going to look back on that. And they're going to remember that mom and dad took their belief in scripture in Christ. They were serious enough about it to tell me the truth. So they will, that will be a powerful testimony to them that this thing that mom and dad do on Sundays going to church, that's not just a Sunday thing. It's not just a, a ritual. It's not just something to do because their friends do it that will be a powerful testimony to them that, you know what? Mom and dad really take this seriously. They really believe this. That will be a powerful testimony to them. So I would encourage parents who are listening, if you're midstream, do the right thing. The right thing to do is always the right thing to do. And years from now, that will be a powerful testimony to your kids. Justin, I so agree with you on that. And I wanted to, I wanted to just jump in here for a second and, and emphasize something that Amy said a minute ago, because I'm, I'm noticing this, um, this statement being made more and more often. And I just want to address it real, real quickly, that a lot of people who, a lot of Christians will say, I don't want to lie to my kids because someday they might that might cause them not to believe in Christ. And that's something that's important that, or, you know, they might think that we have lied to them about Jesus or something about that. And that's, that's really a, an important thing to consider. 
Right. But if that's the only reason you're not lying to your kids, that's not the right reason. That's that's, that's right. an argument from pragmatism. That's not an, a biblical argument. The biblical argument not to have anything to do with Santa that is unbiblical is to glorify God and to obey what God already says in his word, not because of what the outcome might be, but because God commands us to uh, to be truthful because God will not share his glory with another. Those are the reasons that should motivate us to do what is biblical. So I just wanted to emphasize that to our, our listeners too. Yeah. Yeah. That's exactly right. That's exactly right. And, uh, yeah, our, our highest motivation as Christians should be to please God. That's why we do what we do. That's why we obey him to please him. Not because, um, it's pragmatic, not because, you know, we're worried about, uh, you know, if we don't, it might confuse our kid. No, you obey God because God commands obedience and our obedience. Let me say this too. Our obedience to God is the only objective measure we have of our love for God. Our love for God is not measured in feelings or emotions or, you know, Holy ghost goosebumps or you know, any kind of that stuff. I'm not against feelings and emotions, but if you want to know how much you love God, Examine yourself to see how much you obey him because our obedience is the only objective measure we have of our love for God. He who has John 14, 21, he who has my commandments and keeps them, obeys them. He is the one who loves me. And so Justin, because of all of this, um, and I agree with you, your biblical counsel to Christian families would be that they should not include Santa Claus in their celebration of Christmas, correct? Yes. That is my counsel. Yes. All right. I don't, I don't think he's redeemable, but yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's going to lead into my next question. So Justin, you already, you already know this because we talked about it earlier, but as our listeners may not know, we actually have a secondary reason we wanted to ask you on the show to talk about all of this. Uh, Besides all the great points that you, you raised about the biblical issues with Santa Claus, there's another biblical issue we want to address for just a moment. Christian liberty and the fact that Christians who disagree on issues of Christian liberty can still love each other and get along and be friends. So you and I've touched on this a little bit before. I'm not in 100% agreement with you on Santa Claus, probably about 90%, but not completely 100%. So your position is that Christians should not do Santa Claus at all. Mm -hmm. And my position, I know we're supposed to hate the word nuance these days, but my position is just slightly more nuanced than that. It would be that, you know, just like all of those different countries that you mentioned earlier throughout the years, they had their different versions of Santa Claus. Um, Christian families can have their own version of Santa Claus as long as their version doesn't uh, conflict with scripture and isn't unbiblical. For example, instead of lying to your, to your kids and, and saying that Santa is real, parents can tell them that Santa is pretend, like a fun fictional character in a story, just like Superman or Goldilocks or Peter Pan. Uh, instead of letting their kids believe Santa is omniscient and omnipresent, when you get to that part of the story, you can use that part of the Santa story to explain to your kids that only God is omniscient and omnipotent and so on. And that's kind of how we raised our kids. And, and, you know, for anybody who wants to know more about that, we'll put a link in the show notes to my article about that. So, but your position is no Santa at all. 
my position is that Santa is okay insofar as you can do a version of Santa that doesn't violate scripture in any way. Amy, what's your position on Santa? Um, mine has evolved, actually. And, and one point about what you just said, Michelle, um, as, as you're telling kids that Santa is um, make-believe and pretend, you also have, I mean, there are, there are parents out there who would say, but yeah, but don't tell my kid that. <laughs> you know? right. So the, you just want to make sure that your child isn't part of the great lie that others are, are perpetuating out there. But I will say that um, as a young parent, um, and I'm not young anymore, um, I, I will say that we, we did the whole Santa shtick uh, with our oldest. We have two kids and uh, you know, told them it was real and everything. And, and I wasn't very far along in my faith at that time at all. Um, but as I grew closer to my understanding of Christ through scripture, I became convicted and um, we, our youngest, uh, a girl, we told our daughter that, um, you know what, Santa is not real and Jesus is, and we want you to, you know, trust us on this. And, and, uh, and we shared this with her. She, she laughs to this day because we shared this with her two weeks before Christmas. <laughs> so she teases <laughs> us about that. Yes, like, fine. You just didn't want to buy me presents, but you know, uh, but, but we did that. And I will tell you that something very interesting, and I, I'm pretty sure that there is a correlation here, but our, our oldest is unfortunately and sadly not walking with the Lord, and our youngest has the faith. So um, whether that's related, I do not know. The Lord knows, and, and he calls his own. So uh, we, we continue to pray for our oldest, but that's that's how it kind of came down in our family. Yeah, so yeah. we all kind of we all can have at least somewhat differing views on Santa Claus, even if it's right. just, you know, a tiny little difference here and there. And, you know, we're probably all sitting here and our listeners are probably all sitting here thinking, well, Michelle is wrong on this or Justin's wrong on that or Amy's <laughs> wrong on the other thing. But here's the point. We all still love each other. Yes. We're not mad at each other. We're not going to break fellowship over this. I mean, for goodness sakes, we invited Justin on the show to help support his book, knowing that we didn't completely agree, but also knowing that it's a good biblical resource that our listeners need to get a hold of. And that's, that's the bottom line. We are brothers and sisters in Christ who agree that God's word reigns supreme. Amy and I are going to talk more about Christian liberty in a future episode, but that's just an important point and, and an example that I wanted to, uh, to bring out and to leave you with tonight. Uh, on true issues of Christian liberty, where no sin is being committed and all scripture is being obeyed, we don't have to fight our brothers and sisters in Christ to the death, arguing our position into the ground. I'll answer to God for my position on Santa Claus. Justin will answer to God for his. Amy will answer to God for hers. And we can all be okay with leaving it at that. Uh, you know, that's right, Michelle. Our unity in Christ is so much more important than matters of personal preference, you know, and, and as long as we are following the Lord, um, I, I agree with you. And Justin, as we wrap things up, we'd love for you to share any closing thoughts that you might have and just also let our listeners know where they can find you on the web and order a copy of Santa Paws and, of course, all your other books and materials. Okay, Amy. Yeah, just just uh, uh, kind of wrap up, you know, flesh out a little bit more where I come from and, and why I take the stand that I do. Um, I, I think as, as believers, we need to, we can never 
enrapture ourselves too much with the holiness of God, with his holiness. Um, You could take every star, every sun, every star in the entire universe and combine its heat and its luminescence, its the light that it puts out, the energy that it puts out, every single star, trillions of them, combine all of that, and it would not approach the holiness of God. It would not approach the, the white hot holiness. And uh, I'm reminded often of, of John's vision of Jesus in Revelation chapter one. In, uh, John heard the voice, turned around, he saw the lampstands, but then he saw Christ and Jesus appeared to him. He was clothed in white with white hair and eyes of flaming fire. And, um, and I just think Santa, unlike Batman or Superman, you know, with Batman, Superman, and, you know, whatever, Peter Pan, Wonder Woman, whatever, they, they don't have the entanglements with Christ that Santa does. They don't have those deific entanglements. And I, I, I think we can never err too much on the side of holiness, on, on God's jealousy. Um, and and to the, one of the things that I, I champion in my ministry is the sufficiency of scripture. God's word is yes. sufficient. And I know y'all would affirm that God's word is sufficient. Uh, so all scripture is theonoustos, is God breathed and is profitable for doctrine, for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. And as Christians, we all want to train our children in righteousness, right? And so according to the testimony of scripture, scripture provides us with everything that we need, everything that we need. And so there's just not a need for Santa, even, even kind of a, you know, a, a, a toned down version of him when we make those distinctions clear. I just would say it's not necessary. And um, I'm going to err on the side of caution when it comes to the, to the holiness of God. But um, so anyway, all that to say, yes, my website is justinpeters.org, justinpeters.org. And uh, I really would, there's times I would like to change my website in the name of my ministry. I wasn't trying to be arrogant. It's just like a lack of creativity on my part. I'm just not a creative kind of person. So, but anyway, justinpeters.org and all my resources are there and, and um, preaching schedule calendar and all that stuff. So uh, thank you all very so much, much for having thank me. Thank you. Thank yes. you. We, I, I've learned a lot about, you know, just, just in this short time that we've been together and I think our listeners have too. So really appreciate your message today, Justin, and thank you so much for joining us. Thank y'all. Thank y'all very much for having me. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of A Word Fitly Spoken. Don't forget to stop by our website, awordfitlyspoken.life, to check out those show notes and to support us by PayPal or Patreon if you feel so inspired this Christmas and so much more. Until next time, take a pause for the clause, have a holy view of God, and walk worthy. 